The November WASDI surprised the soybean market, leaving export optimists feeling blue. How might the global shipping disruptions be contributing to the problem? That's today on Field Posts. is a DTN Progressive Farmer podcast that dives deeper into the most important trends in agriculture to explore the business's cutting edge. I'm your host, Sarah Mock. The November WASD dropped Tuesday, November 9th, creating some short-term confusion as traders moved on lower soybean ending stock numbers before measuring their response in light of weak export figures. DTN's Todd Holtman joins us today to unpack the updated figures in a report which is likely to be the last major adjustment to the 2021 yield numbers before the January WASD. We'll discuss the China trade watch, domestic demand for corn and soybeans, weather outlooks, and how changes across U.S. grains might be playing into planting decisions for the 2022 year. Then we'll discuss the lasting impacts of COVID, inflation, and how ag markets might be impacted by the global shipping snafu right after this word from our sponsor. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by the 2021 DTN Ag Summit. DTN Ag Summit is an annual opportunity for farmers to learn, network, and refresh as they prepare for the year ahead. And this year, the event is back live in Chicago, better than ever. With the theme of Power Up Your Business, the DTN and Progressive Farmer editors have packed the agenda with content to help you thrive, including enlightening sessions on leadership and building trust, the outlook for the global agricultural economy and trade, and the latest in on-farm technology. With breakout sessions on employee management, taxes, and more, you'll walk away with knowledge you'll need to dominate in the year ahead. And make sure to join us for our popular breakfast roundtables, grab a plate, and join other farmers in discussing today's most timely topics. To register and learn more, visit dtn.com backslash ag summit. Now, back to the show. DTN lead analyst Todd Holtman joins us today to discuss the November world supply and demand estimates. Todd, talk to us a little bit first about your expectations going into this report. We're coming towards the end of harvest. What do you usually expect to see in a November report? Yeah, well, usually we're still focused on the crop estimates, of course. Uh, Even though we're getting closer to the end of harvest, we still have a lot of curiosity about just what guys are finding uh, when they're in the fields. This year in the November report is kind of our last attempt to do that for this calendar year before we get to January's final estimates. So that's where the main emphasis usually is. This year, we're having a bit of a problems with our row crop exports, in particular for soybeans. And that really was a a bearish hangover threat that uh, we were dealing with going into this report. Yeah, I want to talk more about that because I think there was some information in this report that looked a little bullish for soybeans, but it seems like on on balance, it was maybe neutral, maybe a little bit on the bear side. What is your take in terms of the net of the information we got out of this report? How are things looking? Seems like soybeans were most affected here. Yes. If you were watching the trade at all, when the report came out, you saw a huge explosion in the soybean price. It was up over 50 cents very quickly. 
right after the 11 o'clock of the report coming out. I have to credit that typically to a lot of computer-based traders and not necessarily people that thoroughly read and digested the report. So the initial uh, hit was very bullish, and we did end up with a 23-cent gain yesterday So it, 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 on Tuesday, I should say. So it did hold up. But even though the ending stocks estimate for soybeans was less than expected, and there were a lot of concerns that it could have been a lot higher than expected, we still have a very problematic situation with our soybean exports this year. So demand continues to be a big concern. Let's dive into that export figure. I think we've spent so much of the year talking about the fact that China's demand wasn't really falling off and that prices on the Dalio exchange were still good. What started to shift? What are the trends that we're seeing that aren't maybe playing out like we expected? Yeah, this has all happened really fast, Sarah. It was just uh, mid-September. I was in Grand Island talking to folks at Husker Harvest, and it was hard to find anything bearish to say about soybeans at that time. And if we looked at China's soybean prices, they were uh, trending higher and up near their highs for the year. And the fact that was happening after they have uh, bought a huge load of soybeans from China over the summer or from Brazil over the summer, just uh, it, it couldn't have looked more bullish at the time. That all quickly unraveled. And it started with the September 30th grain stocks report when we found out there were more soybeans in the U.S. than we thought, at, at least taking USDA at its face word there. After that, we saw soybean prices just this past week or two start to really break down in China. And there's been quite a, a U-turn in demand there. Soybean prices in China are now near their lowest levels in eight months. It's been a quick turnaround. Something's going on there, obviously. China has a lot of economic challenges this year we're aware of. You never know how hard it's going to hit soybeans. The other suspicion is just maybe ASF is dealing China fits again this year because their soybean meal prices are down at the lowest in a year. All we have are a lot of market clues to guess about. But the outlook for soybeans has really changed quickly. And here in the U.S., our total sales commitments of soybean exports are down a third from a year ago. China's purchases are down 36% from a year ago. So things just are not taking off the way they usually do during this fall time of season. And that's a big concern. Add to all that one more uh, factor I have to mention Brazil's soybean crops off to an early start. It's looking very good early. They're getting the rains they need. And the prices are already showing that they're competing with us for January soybeans. So that's really narrowing our export opportunity. And we, we've gone very quickly in just over a month from a very bullish outlook to soybeans to one that has a lot of concern about demand in the year. I'm curious too how I think we've talked before about the challenge there of China being this huge market factor, but the fact that the reason we all care about the WASDI is because it's the most the best way to get kind of transparent information about the market. But China is such a black box that even the USDA maybe isn't doesn't have all the information it needs to make good predictions. I'm curious if uh, taking all that into account, are when you look at the ex predicted export numbers coming out of USDA, do those look right to you? I, I think they're probably overinflated and. I should mention that, you know, USDA is estimating China's total exports at 100 million metric tons now, which is about 3.67 billion bushels. The concern, of course, is that 
a lot of that business, most of that business is going to go to Brazil. So what's the U.S. share going to be? And so far, the, the market just is not showing that we're going to have much of a big piece of that uh, business. And so that's a concern. And it's hard to take USDA estimates seriously anymore while they're still holding 8 billion bushels of corn ending stocks for China in their current reports. So I, I can't explain all the challenges at USDA there, but I think for anyone in the West, obtaining accurate information out of China and maybe even getting information accurate in China itself is a very difficult task. So we just we have to depend on a lot of other market clues. I'm curious whether as harvest has gone along, I think we've seen a little bit of adverse weather that has maybe affected production a little bit and some of those expected yields. Did you see that play into the report at all any significant way? Well, let me just mention, I think the adverse weather you're probably referring to is it's been quite east, wet in the eastern Midwest. And so there is a bit of a lag in the soybean harvest there. That may have been played a little part into the slightly lower yield estimate than the market was expecting for soybeans. But I think probably the bigger crop concern there is that if the soybeans don't get out in time, it's going to be difficult to get all the soft red winter wheat planted in the eastern Midwest. And that's where the concern is. Now, the production estimate for soft red winter wheat in 2022 is not included in this WASD report. So even if USDA did change their view on that, we don't know uh, what it is yet. But I, I think it's reasonable to expect that we might fall a few percent short on the planning estimate for soft red wheat this year. And what about other demand elements for soybeans? Did you see any movement, unexpected movement in things like crush or or feed demand? Anything that, I don't know, you plan to keep an eye on going forward? Yeah. Now, this is an interesting part. As bad as the export outlook looks, the outlook for crush activity is starting to really look much better. And the crush values are well above the price of the soybean now. So we do expect increased crush activity in the future. USDA did not show any change in their crush estimate in this particular report. It's still 2.19 billion bushels for soybeans, but it wouldn't. I I do expect that crush number to pick up in future reports, and that'll help offset some of the export disappointment, but uh, not all of it. Let's talk a little bit about corn. What were you expecting to see in terms of maybe corn adjustments going into this report, and did you see any surprises? Yeah, for a long time, I've just pegged corn at the 15 billion bushel mark. And it just, it seemed overall that the corn yields actually did pretty well this year, given the drought situation we had in the northern Midwest. And of course, we were hearing fantastic reports there for a while from Iowa and Illinois and farther east. But in this report, we had a slight increase. The new crop estimates, 1506 billion bushels. Probably the headline news of the day is that the new yield estimate is a record high 177 bushels per acre. That's uh, pretty amazing given the drought situation we had in, in three uh, important states. In terms of harvest effects on that, any weather concerns or as, as far as this past year is concerned, does it seem like it is a, a done deal at this point? Yeah, I think the corn crop is fairly closely estimated. We have not seen a lot of variability in the estimate. Harvest is going well overall in the Western Corn Belt. Guys are, I think, going to be done pretty soon. Even in the Eastern Corn Belt where things are wet, I think there's still a good chance a lot of the crop's going to be done before Thanksgiving. 
So it, it's uh, overall, it's going very well and it's not anything like 2019, thankfully. And so we don't have any reason really to have major uh, suspicions or doubts on what USDA is telling us here in this report. Okay. And looking at kind of the demand side of that corn equation, is ethanol looking like it's tracking pretty close to, to crush demand as we see the price of gas go up or how are the kind of the demand elements for corn looking? Yeah, ethanol demand's really been stellar lately, and it's really the most bullish factor for corn prices at the moment. USDA estimated its ethanol demand figure, 50 million bushels, we're now up to 5.25 billion. Um, The current pace of ethanol production is actually a little higher than that 5.25, so there, there is room to increase if this continues throughout the year. Sarah, right now you can take roughly a $5.50 bushel of corn and process it into over $8 worth of ethanol in the Midwest. And that doesn't even include the buck 50 that you'll get for the distiller's grains. So that the, the margins for processing ethanol right now are just off the charts. And uh, that type of domestic demand is really encouraging, especially in this year where we have a lot of concerns about exports and shipping problems and logistics and all that. Here in the U.S., the demand is quite strong. Yeah, it's crazy to think how far those ethanol figures have come from, you know, mid last year where we were talking about closed plants and gasoline selling for negative dollars per gallon (laughs) that we're all the way back to pretty stellar demands. I'm curious, you mentioned shipping and the bottlenecks we're seeing there. I'm curious whether in terms of exports for both corn and soybeans, I think there's been some talk in, in kind of national reporting on the supply chain issues that soybeans are actually one of the, the big commodities that are stuck in these container ships off coasts all over the world. Are you seeing the effects of those kind of bottlenecks playing into this, the the broader export kind of conversation? Or are, those kind, uh, are the effects of those shipping concerns not really being felt yet in the actual trade numbers? To be honest, I, I don't know that the market is really accounting for them yet. And I think it's a little bit understandable that nobody probably has a really good handle of just how much these shipping problems are going to hurt our exportability this year. You mentioned the uh, container problem. Roughly, my understanding is roughly 10% of soybeans are shipped in containers. That definitely is a bit of a roadblock there. For the mo- the bulk of cargo freight that gets shipped and uh, roughly two-thirds or so goes through the U.S. Gulf, that it seems to be going fairly well. The soybean shipments have really picked up lately once we made the necessary uh, repairs after Hurricane Ida in the Gulf. Things have improved a lot since mid-October, I would say, but we started in a hole because of Hurricane Ida. And so that hurt things, but things are starting to hum a little better now. Shipping costs from the U.S. Gulf to China are still quite high, over $2 a bushel for soybeans, which is uh, nearly double what it was at the start of the year. So it's, as I say, it's it's a little difficult to know just how much that's going to impact our export ability in the year ahead. But this is definitely not an easy problem to solve and probably still has another three to six months to go. Yeah, something definitely to, to keep an eye on. And I'm curious how all of this, all of these different factors are impacting basis at the moment for corn and soybeans. And I think we don't expect terrific bases right around harvest at this time, but uh, how are things looking out there? Yeah, for corn, because the ethanol demand is so strong, 
that base has sustained uh, very stout. We're still at our strongest levels in nine years as far as basis goes. For soybeans, it surprises me because cash prices have actually been weak. They've unraveled. It seems like every month we're reporting lower cash prices. And now across the Midwest, our cash prices on beans are in the, the $11 range for most areas. Yet, even having said that, the the basis compared to previous years is still at its most attractive levels in the past eight years. So uh, I think that's one thing where having the, the firmer values in the soy products really helping that crush value is giving us some local domestic firmness in the soybean price, even though the export situations really had it under the gun lately. Absolutely. It's a good time to remember that though we are off the high, we are certainly not in a trough just yet. Still doing pretty <laughs> okay. Right. <on> the <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, $12 soybeans is, is still a very nice price. Absolutely. I want to switch gears a little bit before we talk about some kind of general stuff to check in on wheat. Wheat has been such, has been the big show stealer for the last several WASDs. And I'm curious what you've expected going into this report and uh, what you saw there. I didn't know if there was going to be any change to the uh, U.S. estimates for wheat, and there wasn't much. USDA did lower the export estimate, 15 million bushels. And to be honest, wheat exports have really been dismal this year, so that wasn't a big shock. But the overall ending stocks estimate actually increased just 3 million bushels. So we're at 583 now. It's still the lowest amount of U.S. wheat supplies we've seen in 14 years. So really not a big change as far as the outlook for U.S. wheat goes. USDA did make two interesting changes to the wheat class category. And in that situation, hard red winter wheat, the ending stocks were reduced from 311 down to 299 million bushels. And uh, they cited better domestic demand for hard red winter wheat. For hard red spring wheat, which has really been the most bullish wheat lately and this year with the extensive drought throughout the Northwestern Plains, they increased that ending stocks estimate from 113 to 127 million bushels, taking away some of the estimate for spring wheat. But that that spring wheat still is at its tightest supply situation in 14 years, as is soft red winter. So both the Minneapolis and Chicago contracts are extremely tight this year. And uh, hard red winter is a close number three behind. I want to talk a little bit too about, I think as we get down into the winter months and don't expect as much just activity as most of what happens over the next few months in the Wazis is just uh, USDA firming up kind of the numbers from this year and gearing up for a new season outside of the wheat number. I think outside of shipping, the big concern in the broader economy is all about inflation and not necessarily inflation within agricultural commodities, but inflation in other parts of the supply chain that might be affecting farmers. I'm curious how you are paying attention to that issue and whether you're concerned about it, whether you think that might start um, to play into either trade or demand or into planning decisions for next year even. Yes. Very good question and uh, a big topic to cover. Just on the way in to the office this morning, they reported consumer prices up 6.2% from a year ago in the month of October. On the radio, they said that was a 30-year high, which uh, probably is. I did notice I got a chance to look a little closer at the numbers, and the big thrust is coming from the energy sector. 
the gasoline price is up 50% from a year ago. As you mentioned earlier, we had negative crude oil prices last summer. So it's been quite a dramatic change from that kind of pandemic scenario that we had. And overall, this the first thing that has to be done if we're going to help inflation really, in my mind, is not a response from the Fed or from Congress. It's or as far as fiscal policy goes, the first thing we need to do is get this transportation nightmare fixed because that's underneath a lot of it. Even in the natural gas prices, that has partly been uh, hurt by Hurricane Ida. It's been difficult to ship fertilizer up uh, river. That's part of the concern that we're having for supplies. There was a bit of good news this week. At the same time, the WASDE report was coming out and soybeans showed this big jump higher natural gas prices were falling to their lowest levels in a couple months. So that's a bit encouraging. And that might help the fertilizer situation as we work to spring. We do get a updated natural gas storage report here later on Wednesday. That could be very interesting to the market. But overall, the it seems to be that it's this transportation logistical nightmare that is behind much of the higher prices that we're seeing this year. And then second behind that, there seems to be quite a few areas this year where energy supplies are just falling short. And part of that might be an over-exuberance to push to uh, green uh, methods and in a bit of a disregard of the more traditional sources of energy. But those traditional sources seem to be picking back up now. And again, here in the U.S., Hurricane Ida played a big part of that. Just last week, our U.S. production finally got back to the levels it was before Hurricane Ida hit. So there's been a lot of factors going on, but part of this inflation problem is fixable in an immediate and practical way. But there's a lot of things that are still related to the pandemic that we have to untangle and sort out. I'm curious as well. We check in every month on that pandemic effect and the various ways that is impacting markets globally. I'm curious, as you survey the landscape, issues that could be pressing as we head into 2022, is COVID still at the top of the list of things that are affecting the market? Or do you think that there's other other factors that are playing a more important role as people consider planning and, and those kind of things in the year ahead? To be honest, of course, we're all hoping that COVID is going to play a, a, a less important role or a less intrusive role in the year ahead. And the good news is it does seem that we were slowly winning the war against that COVID intrusion. So I I do expect that overall to continue to do well. And it seems like they're coming out with just more therapies and vaccines and all kinds of tools to help us all the time to to stave off that threat better. That that is one of the most basic fundamental needs we have to get out of the way because it's just difficult to move the economy forward until we get that thing under control. That's really number one priority, I think. And uh, then after that, it's getting people back to work. And thankfully, uh, those numbers have actually been improving very well also. And uh, then along with that, as those people get back to work, they need to help us straighten out this logistical issue and uh, get goods moving freely again and get those ports working and uh, ships moving. And I think maybe my last question here is just, we are watching, as you described, this really precipitous change in situation, we'll say, for soybeans uh, here at the end of, of 2021. And 
Corn still in a, a relatively competitive space, though though not off its high. Wheat obviously still a huge demand as those supplies stay tight. How are you expecting all of this to potentially shape up into some planning decisions for 2022? Yeah, I think the big factor is what's uh, going to happen with the fertilizer situation. Is that going to intrude into the planting decision by spring? And already customers are being told if they don't buy now, they won't have fertilizer this spring. So that is a very high concern to the market. We're seeing anhydrous hit new record prices just this week. The, those obviously are discouraging to corn planting. I think there's also a strong tendency to stay with corn because even with those higher corn fertilizer costs, corn prices still pencil out favorably in the current situation. So uh, a lot of what happens between now and planting time is going to shape that decision. My bias is that I, I think most farmers will try their best to stay close to their typical rotations and get somewhere close to a 50-50 split with soybeans. I think we are going to lose some of the corn and soybean acres, though, to wheat, because obviously we do have the highest, higher wheat prices this year, and wheat doesn't demand the amount of fertilizer that, say, corn does. So that's going to be a, a more attractive thing. In fact, the other day in USDA's long-term projections, they did project about a 2 million acre increase in wheat acres. So I think that's a reasonable expectation that we have. Other than that, it's going to play on weather. And as you know, Sarah, we still have a lot of drought concerns in the western U.S. And what that map looks like in spring is going to be quite interesting this year. That the weather question is always a big one. Any other big things that you are watching or yeah, reports that you're going to see coming out in the next couple of months that you're going to be watching closely for potential to move the market? As far as reports, I would say not until we get to the January WASD, and that's, of course, known for final estimate, crop estimates. On that side, obviously, we're going to be watching export activity very closely. The other concern maybe I didn't mention is the hard red winter wheat crop. With that La Nina feature this winter, that usually means that they have a, a dry period between now and spring. And so it'll be interesting to see what kind of conditions those crops in the southwestern plains wake up to in the springtime. But there's a good chance it could be very dry soils this spring. You can read Todd's full analysis and up-to-the-minute reporting on all things ag markets at dtnpf.com or in the monthly DTN Progressive Farmer magazine. This episode of Field Post was brought to you by the team at DTN Progressive Farmer, with special thanks to Todd Holtman. This episode was produced and edited by me, Sarah Mock, with support by Greg Hillier and Kylie Swanson. And a big thanks to all of you for listening. If you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And until then, remember, the future of farming is here. This episode of Field Post is brought to you by DTN Ag Weather Station. Are you looking to get more accurate, hyper-local weather information? By gathering weather and agronomic data directly from your own fields, DTN Ag Weather Station supports you when making targeted decisions around expensive or high-risk activities like chemical applications and irrigation. DTN's Ag Weather Station can be purchased for as low as $9 a month depending on your current customer status with DTN. If you're looking to increase your weather accuracy while saving time, please visit DTN.com.